Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Jake, how you doing today? I am wonderful. How are you, Randy? I'm doing really good myself. Um, I did have something I wanted to talk to you about, though. And, you know, with this situation uh, that we have on our hands with uh, the virus, a lot of folks have been spending more time cooking at home, not going out to restaurants. So I wanted to ask you, what did you have for dinner last night? That's funny because it's the opposite of what you just said. Oh, not entirely the opposite, but we had takeout last night. So we've been using the local DoorDash service a lot more than we actually were before this whole virus thing started. Can't exactly say why. I'd like to say it's because we're trying to support the local economy. And I know that's the excuse we use, but I think it's more about being lazy and not wanting to cook. <laughs> yeah, I think it might be a combination, right? Because yeah. we've done some takeout as well, but we certainly have been cooking at home a lot more. So we had a really nice grilled piece of salmon and uh, salad from our garden. So it was really good and healthy at the same time. So, so one thing that we've been doing is having... Um, movie nights where we bring the tv outside and sit on beanbag chairs and watch a movie with our landlord and a couple of friends and we're all spread apart so outside so i think we're okay but she the landlord jan she's been making homemade ice cream which has been amazing she makes the the custard from scratch and then um she has this big bucket uh, electric ice cream maker we fill it with ice and salt and it just spins around for about an hour and then uh, so good. So we used fresh mangoes from the backyard last weekend. Ooh. It was amazing. Oh my God. Fresh mango homemade ice cream. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We're a little spoiled. Yeah. And I know you like your ice cream, so you are in heaven for sure. Uh, definitely. Definitely. Lori likes it more than I do even. It's pretty, pretty awesome. So anyhow, who do we have on the docket for today? Well, that's a very good question. Um, we are going to continue our conversation with Larbs, Larry Imperiali, and he is going to talk more about his partnership with Bill Wright. So enjoy. So we just went through your your Frisbee career in 1981, and um, part of that story was how you missed connecting with Bill because of your your spleen surgery. So at what point do you actually connect with Bill, and how does that relationship start? Well, as I said in the, my first Rose Bowl story, we had a little jam on the Irvine Fields in 1980, and I think that was the start of it. And then we, uh, right after they won the Rose Bowl, we did a little road trip. I didn't mention this part of 1980, where uh, I drove my BMW and uh, Rick drove Vanigan, their little Volkswagen van. We ro- drove with each other to Austin tournament. So I was becoming a uh, Colorado uh, Froopy, I guess they call it, uh, Frisbee groupie. Uh, with them and followed them and jamming with them all the time and and that type of thing. So I had a little connection to them, certainly before 81, we were jamming a lot. But uh, where it really blossomed with Bill was 1982. We played World Disc together. And that's the first time we did sort of a rough 2001 A Space Odyssey routine. And we did that routine in that, uh, if you remember World Disc, when it was at Cabrillo College in the early 80s, it was a huge crowd. I watched that video, gosh, six months ago, 
And that crowd was intense. The Santa Cruz crowd knew Frisbee. They came out in droves. It was an amazing scene if you participated in that early World Disc experience. Oh, great memory. So Bill and I had the routine down. I go, Bill, let it's Saturday night, 5 o'clock. I go, let's go to the stadium, sneak in, and do the routine. He's like, oh, that's a good idea. Let's go. So we drive over to Cabrillo College. We park. We uh, go in the stadium for, you know, the night before the finals, sneak in through a fence, go in the middle of the field. We do our whole routine. No, not a soul in the stadium. Do the whole routine, finish it with our boom box. And we're like, all right. And at the end of it, all of a sudden we hear. We look up and Joey and Chip are sitting there in the stands and they had just done the same thing. And we're like, oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, that was amazing that the two top teams in that tournament both snuck into the stadium the night before. I don't know if Joey and Chip remember that or even Bill, but I certainly do. And then we play the finals the next day. We played really good. And Joey and Chip played really good to the Dixie Dregs, just amazing flow. And we had our own uh, reason for winning. They had their reason. And they ended up winning, you know, edging us out. And well-deserved, I'm sure. They played really, really good. I know we were thinking we should have won, but uh, it's hard to say. What's interesting is I posted that video probably two years ago. And this wouldn't happen nowadays. But, uh, Bill, you know, those were five-minute routines. All these routines, I, I don't know, pairs-wise until, what, early 90s were five, five minutes. Five-minute pair routines. And uh, I, I watch Bill's and mine, and I'm like, okay, 502. Okay, that's good. And I watch <laughs> Chip and Joey, and I'm like, oh, they played for four minutes and 25 seconds. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wait a second. That's crazy. That wouldn't happen nowadays. So uh, we would have won if that's my story i'm sticking with it we would have won if they would have got the penalty (laughs) that's funny so but so that's where the 2001 routine was unveiled is that right space absolutely absolutely yeah and who came up with that concept i mean how did that how did that routine come about because you know bill is like he's the master choreographer and you dive into that stuff too so talk a little bit about that creation um um, that I don't really remember the genesis of that. Bill may know. Um, I don't really remember. I know Bill goes, hey, you know, listen to this. I think we can do it. And he made a tape and Margaret Curtis mugs. Uh, you know, sometimes when the music starts, you want a little cue that it's about to start. And she right at the beginning recorded. <gasps> and so every time I listen to the routine, I hear that. I'm like, OK, first throw. But I don't remember how it came about. I really don't at all. We did wow. the first part to uh, 2001, and we really hit the music better in 83 than 82 in the beginning. But uh, I, I just don't remember how it evolved. Bill probably came up with it all like he always did for our routines. <laughs> yeah, well, that's interesting because we were, you know, the the two people finding the disc and, you know, you kind of played up the whole theme of, you know, what Space Odyssey was. And then you sort of did that as the drums are beating, you guys are, you know, cuffing the disc and it's kind of out of control, but in control the way you guys are doing it. So conceptually and musically, it really fit and it looked like you guys had spent a lot of time putting that together. Yeah, and we did, and absolutely right. I mean, the opening, well, so continuing the story with Bill, um, so in 83, after we had lost in 82 to Joey and Chip, uh, was the 83 U.S. Open. And for those players, you know, everyone, all the players today think, oh, gosh, the FPA Worlds is the top tournament to strive for. But back then, 
uh, FBA Worlds was a, almost an afterthought compared to uh, the U.S. Open, which was in La Mirada overall. Uh, the follow-on to the Rose Bowl, huge crowds, huge teams, big money. That was the prestige. And so Bill and I said, okay, we're going to do it at 83 U.S. Open, do the same routine and do it better. So we uh, uh, do the same routine. I remember uh, we weren't at dorms. We were in the hotel or something, and we practiced that after the semis. And I had this feeling I've never had, well, I've only had it twice in my life of where it's like, I feel so confident that we're going to win. And the U.S. Open is where I felt that feeling, hey, we've got this. At that 83 U.S. Open, we really hit the music well. Again, a five-minute routine. But it was on That's Incredible, and uh, uh, which was the number one show in the U.S. Uh, for a few years. And the line was, where prehistoric man first discovers the Frisbee. So that's the takeoff from 2001, where the apes find the big monolith. And so getting back to your point, Randy, about the bobbling, Bill is discovering how to use a Frisbee. So it's like bump, 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 and he's using his arms to like fumble it. So it's like an intentional fumble, but it was right to the music. And then I grab it from him, like, let me show you. And I set him a delay. And then we hit all those beats almost perfectly to the last one where I boop it over my head. And Bill does that jumping catch uh, with his leg really high and his body in the sky and drop into the ground and hit that note perfectly. And and from there, it was uh, the rest was easy after that. Yeah, the rest is history, as they say. That was a classic routine for sure. And that's the line from uh, from the song uh, "Pulled Me Up" that we went into after 2001, which is, "You'll see your name go down in history." And the thing that made I think, as far I have to think hard, but I, that 1983 U.S. Open was the biggest tournament of my life, not just because I won, but because of the teams and the finals. I mean, if if you look at that results list and i'm not going to get it in order but i think the velasquez brothers third joey and chip second we were first bill and i uh fourth was uh deaton and jim i'm going to mix it up doug and i'm going to just say the names after that uh doug brannigan and rick castilla who was an amazing team we can go on on and on about those two who else was in there at that time jj and skippy i mean i i Stacked from top to bottom. I'm leaving off some big names, maybe Chris Ryan and someone else. But uh, yeah, that tournament, the competition level. I mean, it may be the greatest finals ever in terms of the quality of players at that era. I mean, that's what made that route, that uh, tournament so special. And to top it off, uh, Bill and I won $1,500 there, first place. And I was so blown away at the World Urban Games this year when they won $7,000, first place, I think it was. So I went to uh, uh, the web and looked up how much $1,500 back in 1983 is worth in today's dollars. And it's about $7,000. <laughs> so <laughs> it's very similar to uh, what was won at the World Urban Games. So that's uh, uh, very uh, interesting in that regard. Yeah. So it was a really a significant amount. You think 1500 bucks now, but if you, like you say, dollars now and then were not the same. Exactly. So that's, exactly. that's cool. So you and Bill do the 2001 routine in 1983 not 2001 but 1983 and then the next year you move to san diego which is a really jam mecca that is just exploding so you move there 
and get to dive right into that scene. So why don't you talk about that transition from where you were living in 83 to now being in San Diego in 84? Yeah, I think the uh, transition from Chico to the Bay Area, you know, we had that huge jamily in Chico, the airheads. And then in the Bay Area, everyone was very distributed. So you didn't have that same feeling. You had a uh, people with real jobs and and that type of thing. So it was different. So then in 84, for various reasons, I decided, decided to move to uh, uh, Del Mar, California, down by San Diego, and work at a startup company there from some people that had started the company I was working for in Silicon Valley. And I moved there not just for the job opportunity and to finish my MBA, but also uh, because of the jam scene. It was, I mean, I'm so fortunate to have a second jamily in that San Diego time. There was, that was phenomenal. I mean, if you ran down the list of players, you know, you know, all the normal San Diego players, you know, LeBeau and everyone else there, JJ and so many people, but there's people like Tommy Leitner lived there, you know, Danny Cameronese lived there on and on. It was just an amazing scene to be part of. And for me, the best part was certainly... Uh, the Fridays at the Cove. I wasn't much of a beach player. You know, my feeling was, hey, we compete on grass. I want to play on grass. But I did like good wind. So we would play at La Jolla Cove, uh, which had like a grass-like carpet. And the wind, uh, maybe not perfect because it was on a little bluff, but it was still really good. And, you know, I would uh, drive to the Cove Friday after work, pick up uh, Joel's wife, Kim, in the later years, on the way because she worked near me we'd get to the cove you know stacy rick me jim benson jj donnie uh, i mean i just go on and on i'm leaving a million people out and i apologize i'm going to do that this whole podcast but uh just an amazing scene that friday afternoon at the cove peter laubert it was so fun in 1984 it was in full bloom correct oh yeah i i came and it was already there happening Maybe not the Cove quite as much. That got a little more momentum as time went on. Yeah, it was a full-on scene in San Diego. A lot of people played at Zoo Green. Now, that was a little further south, a little more inland. I didn't play there too much. And uh, where we played was in North County because most a lot of the people were in North County area. And we'd play at the polo fields also in addition to the Cove. The polo fields had wind like the beach. It wasn't, like you said, in full bloom. Yeah. And I mean, like you say, there were so many players. There was Dave Schiller and Kate Dow and Gina Sample. And like, God, the list was just amazing. And so people were moving from other parts of the country to be in San Diego just because of the jam scene like you. And I think on one of your earlier podcasts, who was it? Was it Stacy or someone was mentioning, you know, the people living in my house? In Del Mar, it was, I think at one point it was Jim Schmall, Rick Castilla, Stacy, and, you know, maybe one other jammer. I mean, it was just, just an amazing scene down there. And so did you find that your game was growing and being pushed by these other amazing jammers that you were around? No question. No question. The uh, definitely was because of all the different styles there and everyone was playing with everyone. That is where I really homed the mob op game. Uh, Stacy, Rick, and I used to just have great jams, but uh, yeah, definitely, uh, it's hard to say specifically how it changed my game, but I think I became more of a wind player, uh, using the winds in different ways. Still, never really learned the delay game very well. <laughs> 
<laughs> Were you using nails back then? Oh, you know, it comes and goes. Uh, uh, I remember a lot of U.S. Opens, a lot of FPA Worlds, I didn't use nails. Finally, people started doing turnovers. I said, okay, I'll learn a turnover. Maybe I'll put on a nail. And uh, But it was on and off. So, you know, I'm sure a lot of that I didn't use nails. A lot of it I did. An interesting twist about you living in San Diego. So you're with all these amazing players, but then you hook up with players outside of San Diego in Team Side Out. What an interesting choice that there you are with this buffet of talent and you go outside of that buffet and hook up with Team Side Out, which was led by Skippy Jammer. So maybe talk a little bit about that development. Sure, sure. And I'll transition again based on my next surgery, <laughs> which was, uh, I'm in the 85 US Open with Joey. Joey and I are pairs. Unfortunately, Pete Rosing had passed away that uh, earlier before that, unfortunately, and what a great player he was. Very sad. But uh, so Joey and I played pairs of the US Open. And uh, Joey goes, Larry, Larbs, we're going to play to jump. Every time you hear, go ahead and jump jump okay do a big move and jump <laughs> and that's the mo- that's the uh routine where we did the uh i do a chest roll from joey's set joey goes into a handstand the disc comes right between the vias's legs and i do a big guidance and that's how we ended that routine we got third place i didn't play super good but before that finals i go up to stork i go stork my hip I had to take some medication for my spleen in 81 and it caused my hip to get weak in 85. I go, Stork, I don't think I can play in the finals. I can barely walk. I go, can Joey pick up another partner? And Stork's like, no, he can't pick up another partner. Larry, you two made the semis. I got the finals. And I'm like, oh, uh, I go, hey, can Joey play by himself? Stork's like, Larry, no, it's a pairs tournament. He can't play by himself. And I'm like, oh boy, okay, I'm going to give it a go. I taped up my hip and all that and go out there and play. And yeah, we got third. So I adrenaline through it, I guess. But then I had surgery and I was on crutches for six months. And uh, um, that's when I started my company because I'm like, okay, I can't do anything. You know, it's like, you know, right now we're all locked down, you know, okay, well make the best use of your time. Okay. I'm going to finish my master's thesis. I'm going to write it on how to start my company. So I I put my uh, energy into something else temporarily. But then I started feeling better. You know, he's like, well, Larry, you know, you're never really going to be able to run again or do anything like that. But, uh, you know, you should be able to walk normally. I'm like, okay, whatever. All of a sudden, 86, I'm like, hey, I'm feeling pretty good. And the doctor looks at me and goes, wow, it didn't cave in and you didn't need a hip replacement. You know, you've still got your real hip. And yeah, we drilled a hole in it and we put a battery in it. And the battery's still there, but it's dead. But we're not going to take it out now. But, you know, you can start doing some stuff maybe. So I started playing a little bit. And uh, I remember in the, I would have to say either eight, it must have been 86. No, I bet you it was 87. So I took a couple of years off there. And that's where my gap is of FPA Worlds. And then I play with Don. I said, hey, Donnie, Stacy, you know, I think I can play. Do you guys want to play at the indoors in San Diego? And uh, they're like, yeah, let's play. And I played. And it was the first time I had really competed. Or I had competed again since the surgery. And I could, you know, it took it a little bit easy. But I could play. And uh, I'm like, I'm good. I think I can play. I started playing again. And, and when you I, say Donnie, you mean Donnie Wallace. Donnie Wallace, definitely. Thank you for that. Um, but after that surgery, I played with Stacy uh, and uh, Anderson, then McCarthy now, uh, and Donnie Wallace in the indoors. I'm like, okay, I think I'm good to go. I think I can start playing again. 
And so I started playing again and, you know, got back to my uh, normal game pretty much fairly quickly. And then in 88, Skippy, Tommy, and JJ were playing together. I think probably 86, 87, they became team side out, but they had never really, they had never won uh, the big co-op tournaments. Maybe it was partially because, you know, they're very similar players. All Most of the throws were clock and uh, amazing players, but less diversity, say, than the Coloradicals, maybe in their game uh, as a team, but amazing players, no question. And I'm playing with JJ at the Cove one day in uh, 88, and he goes, Larbs, I can't go to the U.S. Open. I can't go. I'm like, oh, what, do, what are they going to do? What is Skippy and uh, Tommy going to do? And they're like, he goes, you take my place. You go take my place. And I'm like, I can't take your place. <laughs> you know, I'm a cheap imitation of JJ. I can't <laughs> take your place. He's going, no, no, no. You go do it. So I, I show up uh, somewhere uh, with uh, Tommy and uh, Skippy, and I go, hey, uh, JJ said I'm his cheap imitation. He can't come. I'm playing with you guys, he says. And I, I, I don't remember exactly how it transpired. And, but at that point, we said, okay, we're going to go play at the, uh, actually not the U.S. Open. We we're going to play at the 88 FPA World Championships. And uh, it was a smaller tournament for whatever reason at the uh, uh, City College there. We go out and play and we, uh, we won. We beat, I think, Murph and Rick and his team. And I'm uh, forgetting who it was, maybe Joel, maybe... Uh, Maybe not Schiller at that point, maybe. But anyway, we won, and I watched that routine now. That's one of my favorite routines just because, A, it's the first time I never thought I'd play again and play. And I you know, did a, a, a save where it looked like it was for sure going to hit the ground. And somehow I got it up before it hit the ground and kept on going with it and did a big crash and burn guide us. And I'm like, oh, I just did my hip a couple of years ago. I might want to be careful, but very memorable in that regard so that was the start of side out for me and so did you still have a battery in your hip at that time i had it in until 2002 when i went to a doctor and i my doctor who i paid for his car with all my surgeries but uh he i go doc man i got a hamstring pull i think it's that battery in my hip it's been in there for 20 years you got to take it out and he's like oh okay i've never seen a battery in there but i'll do my best and he goes in there and he I wake up from surgery and he's like, you know, and he was a, he had a foul mouth. He goes, I couldn't find that effort. I couldn't find that thing in there. I knew it was in there. I couldn't find it. And then he goes, my assistant pushed your leg and all of a sudden it popped right out. And I got my wire clippers and cut it out. And- <laughs> oh my God. That is so, crazy. so I had, I had no idea that you were a bionic man during that whole period. Yeah. Let's not do the uh, dollar calculation of $6 million in today's dollars. Cause I didn't do that. But anyway, yeah. Wow. So that battery in Larry's hip, that explains so much. He's the guy that can get to anything and he never gets tired. And he was getting a boost from that battery the whole time. I know he was the energizer Lairbs instead of the energizer bunny. It was energizer Lairbs. Yeah. I mean, Larry is amazing. Uh, and the things that he can get to, and he always has that, you know, go for it. You know, he can just kind of get it. Everything. It really is an amazing ability that he has to do that. One observation that I've have about jamming with Larry is every time I jam with him and we play counter, I feel like I can really play counter. And then when I get in a jam with other people and play counter, I suck. I barely can keep the disc in the air. Like something about playing with him, 
I would like to say it makes me play better, but I think that he just feeds off all of my fails and makes the makes the jam keep going. <laughs> he cleans up your slop. He makes you look good. Exactly. I love people <laughs> like that. It makes the jam so much more fun. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, on that note, I will talk to you next time, Jake. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Haynesville, Shooting the Frisbees, and live streaming freestyle frisbee. <laughs>